Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! episode 40 welcome to the show so as usual we've got a list of stuff that we have been reading over the past two weeks to bring to you and uh, hopefully get you reading because there's some really good stuff here and uh, today i am joined by leon hey hey and rahul evening guys so guys over the past two weeks what have we been up to it looks like quite a bit like just glancing over the show notes breaking the fourth wall a bit there <laughs> Don't give away all the secrets, Greg. What are you doing? <laughs> Come on, Wade. <laughs> if only I looked that good in black and red, huh? Um, <laughs> so I guess my big thing from the past two weeks has been the fact that in between rereading some old Batman comics, like some of the old, you know, like Batman and the Outsiders stuff. Um, I got Yeah, I got back on that train um, and I bought myself a couple of like pretty hardbacks. Basically, the recent Detective Comics stuff has been Batman teaming up with Black Lightning, and that kind of gave me a hankering to read the Outsiders stuff, because Black Lightning is in the Outsiders team with Batman, um, and I figured, I, you know, that that's like what set me off down that little path, down that garden trail kind of thing, and I've been sat reading these like awesome 80s Outsiders books, which are really cool. Um, in between that... Um, in fact, this week it was, wasn't it? We had uh, Sonic Mania Plus. So any anybody who plays video games, who listens to this podcast, which I'm sure is pretty much most of you, last year we got the first new Sonic game we've had since Sonic Adventure 2. And I am right when I say that. <laughs> it, is, it is the first new Sonic game we've had since Sonic Adventure 2. And this that revisionist was... history. <laughs> it never happened. Yeah. What no, never happened? It was all a horrible psychedelic dream. Sonic did kiss that woman. You've got to accept it. <laughs> there are, there are oh. thousands of videos on YouTube of that. My <laughs> it head, happened. My head thumping black and red hedgehogs with guns. Oh. But yeah, no. Um, so Sonic Mania, <laughs> which is like a return to the good Sonic, the retro Sonic from the Sega Mega Drive days. Uh, the stuff that I grew up on, um, my first platformers were sonic games because we had mega drive not snes and um yeah it's like the spiritual successor to sonic 3 and sonic 3 and knuckles and all those really cool games um that everyone should check out because they are amazing for what they are basically um and this is so sonic mania plus is like additional dlc for sonic mania so you had think of it if you want to think of it this way if you know sonic 3 then Sonic Mania is Sonic 3, and Sonic Mania Plus is Sonic 3 and Knuckles. So, like, when you... Yeah, when you combine Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles together, like the two cartridges, the lock-on thing. So, Sonic Mania Plus gives you two additional playable characters, uh, Ray and Mighty, Mighty the Armadillo, um, Ray the Flying Squirrel, and you get um, some, like, they've redesigned all the levels as well, so when you play back through it... um, Although you're playing through the same stages, they're different stage designs, like completely different routes, different aesthetic, 
um things might be shaded differently like it might be midday instead of morning and things like that you know that kind of stuff little touches uh, they've also changed the bonus stages to these really cool pinball stages, which are cool. So like the Blue Spheres thing, which was in Sonic Mania as a bonus stage. Blue Spheres was how you would earn emeralds in Sonic 3 and Sonic and & Knuckles. Um, and that is now... Um, it, that was a bonus stage in Sonic Mania, and you could earn gold emblems um, by completing them and getting perfect bonuses and getting all the Blue Spheres and all the rings. Uh, and they've now changed that up so that when you get a bonus stage you now get like a pinball stage instead, which is kind of cool. So a pinball stage where you can earn rings and power-ups. Um, a little bit more useful in-game, actually, than having the Blue Spheres thing, I must say, because rings and power-ups, earning those, like, on the fly, without having to actually find a TV or anything on the stage, is probably... Like, you know, like, if you jump into a bonus stage and then you can earn a thunder shield which would be like a lightning shield which would be really useful at that point in the level then it's 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 better for it's better than just going into the blue spheres stage and coming out with ultimately nothing that's useful when you come out onto the level again which is kind of you know um and also yeah the the uh, the special stages with from sonic mania have been juiced up a bit and they've made them a bit harder like they've cranked the difficulty to 11 because they were already like really hard and now they're just like really 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 hard like sandpaper hard against your face so <laughs> but yeah it's it's really cool i've been enjoying sonic mania plus and i've been enjoying using the new characters and like figuring out all the new modes and stuff and so you definitely say that was a worthwhile upgrade then yeah yeah definitely i mean if you've got the original game already you can buy the dlc for four quid that was on playstation network if you buy the dlc it's only four quid um, there's also a physical release for it because the original game didn't get a physical release. It got a special edition, which kind of counts as a physical release, except there was no physical media containing the game in there. You just got a card with a code on the back. Whereas now they've actually given you like a physical release with physical media. So I think they put it on a disc. Um, I think it's twenty nine ninety nine. I'm not sure, though. But that obviously includes original Sonic Mania and the Plus DLC all on one disc. And yeah, that's that's been my two weeks. <laughs> so um, what about you guys? Well, for video games, I picked up Octopath Traveler. I told myself I wouldn't buy it. And then the day it came out, I immediately went and bought it. Um, and it, I've not regretted the decision. Like I, I find it really hard to get into JRPGs generally. The last one I really got into was Persona 5. And that was a bit of a slog to go through as much as I loved it. It was hard to be sat in front of my TV and being like stuck in my living room playing that. Um, and the last one I, I enjoyed the most before that was Persona 4. And I loved it because it was on, on the Vita and I could take it on the tube. I could take it to my girlfriend's house. I could, you know, play it whenever I, I, I wanted for like 10 minute bursts or 30 minute bursts if I wanted. And that's exactly what Octopath Traveler is giving me. I love it. Like I'm 10, almost 15 hours into it. Um and yeah it's really good all the systems are really fun it looks gorgeous because it's got that tilt shifted 3d environment but all rendered in like 16-bit 2d character sprites and backgrounds nice. and stuff it's it's really interesting um but i just noticed uh today that if you look at the first letter of every character's name it spells out octopath and now i hate the game <laughs> <laughs> at that point you just got to double down man yeah. yeah well <laughs> no it's it's still great i just i it was one of those moments where i was like oh my god but it's cool i love it 
it's cool. Um, I'd recommend it if you have a Switch. It's a must buy. So you see, like it's one of those games where because I'm, th- I want to buy a Switch. I haven't bought a Switch yet, but I want to buy a Switch. I'm kind of like hedging. I don't know, hedging my bets or, or, or holding. I, I don't know why, but I know that I want Smash Bros when that drops, and I know that I already want Super Mario Odyssey. Um, Both g- yeah, good picks. I guess. I'd be. I'm guessing Smash will be good, but um, yeah. Mario Odyssey is amazing. See, I'd be buying um, uh, the the um, the Zelda game Breath if I had. Yeah, I'd be buying Breath of the Wild. So I couldn't remember the name of it there, which is shocking. Uh, if I hadn't already blown that by buying it on the Wii U, and now I just feel buying it again for the Switch would be like a moot thing. My brother yeah. has said that when he gets his Switch, um, when Smash Bros. comes out, he's going to rebuy and replay Breath of the Wild because he played it all on the Wii U yeah. just like you. Yeah. But he said he's uh, already put down, I know I'm going to buy it and replay the whole game again. Yeah, you see, my my problem is I don't know if I will replay it if I buy it. That's the thing. It's like, well, I I have a version of that story yeah. because I played fifty hours and then my Switch died and I lost my game save, and I was I was pissed off and I refused to touch it for months and months and months. And then the other day, I think like a couple of weeks ago, I was hankering for something to play and I picked up Breath of the Wild again, and I'm back up to like the place that I was, I think, roughly when my Switch died. So. I like I have this thing where I'm enjoying it even more this second time round because like yeah. I've learned all the systems and if anything I'm being a bit more adventurous and I'm being a bit more daring and yeah it's really good I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend against giving it a try for a second time. So. Yeah. What happens if your switch dies again? Don't. Why would you go there? Why would you bring that up? <laughs> I had this fear today because it wouldn't turn on for a second and I thought oh god I'm 15 hours into Octopath. <laughs> no 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 don't don't even go there don't even jinx it. Fear the switch death. Oh yeah, the other thing I'm doing is still playing Nino Kuni 2 because that's my JRPG of the moment. Mm. Again, if that was on a handheld, I'd be all over it, but it's not, so I'm I'm not. Yeah, handhelds are, are probably the way forward sometimes with stuff like that. I like things you can pick up and put down. Um, yeah, and I like things that have like this episodic thing where you can like finish a chapter and then put it down again. Kind or even thing. just like mid battle and yeah. you're not doing an action thing it's not like you have to what was i looking for it's not like you have to be engaged in it all the time like if yeah. you're on the tube if you're on the bus or you know on the commute or just sitting in the park or whatever yeah. you can be mildly distracted every so often like you know if you're yeah. looking up to see if you're at the right stop or whatever turn it off for five minutes pick it back up again mm. when you've done the switch or whatever um yeah it works really well for that well the, the nice thing about nina kuni is it's in chapters so you could play a chapter to the end quite easily um mm. if you didn't like bother doing loads and loads of side quests like i do because like each time because you can you could carry on like in between main quests you can carry on like doing stuff for people to get them to join your kingdom and stuff like that um and like you can um you could unless you're in the middle of a battle you can pretty much save the game anywhere which is quite nice and come That's back to that cool. exact point, yeah. So, like, on the world map, you can save the game, you know, as long as you're on the world map, or, like, you can save the game pretty much anywhere. And the PS4 is good for that, generally, because you can just turn off the console and resume it where you left off, which is the one thing that I really... The one major only thing that I don't like about PC gaming is that you can't do that. You can't pause the game and just resume it where you left it. Yeah, yeah, you're do? right, yeah. Hmm. 
But then again, everything's cheaper on PC. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and nicer, and plays better, and is 144 yeah. hertz, and yeah. So, um, what else have you guys been up to then? We went to the cinema yesterday. Cinema. The cinema. <laughs> uh, and we went to see the sequel to The Incredibles, this uh, little hand-drawn animation from uh, 14 years ago. <laughs> but um yeah it was it was it was not bad they added a bit of color um animations a bit cooler and and that's it really yeah, yeah. i really enjoyed it and and it wasn't a douchey screening like we didn't have any <laughs> major actually the biggest complaint didn't come from the audience it came from the cinema itself which was king freezing <laughs> it was really cold like there was a girl sat next to us who had a blanket on it was it was wild. And then you step out of the cinema and it was boiling hot at like 10 in the evening. Is that when you looked over and noticed that the usher in the corner was wearing a glass dome over his head? And was Why does everything blue? have to come back to Batman? With you? <laughs> <laughs> Just let the Incredibles stand on their own. You know? and, and, and they they do stand. Um, it's a pleasant sequel. Obviously, it's not going to hit the heights of the original if you're a fan of the, the first movie. But I, um, it is pretty cool how it um, picks up where it left off and uh, pretty much just just gets rolling. So um, yeah, it's it's it, it's, it's, it's a very um, cinema as fuck type movie where <laughs> um, big screen and big sound um, definitely um, will like bring the best out of the viewing and it, it's it's um uh interestingly adult um film mm. um considering not in terms of like con like the text like there's not swearing or anything or any particular violence but it's more so adult in terms of its theming and um the stuff that it looks to to cover you see, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. I remember when Incredibles One was doing the rounds when the first Incredibles film was out, and like it, I'm not. I mean, I'm having trouble seeing where all this excitement has come from because I don't remember the Incredibles being that much of a thing. For well, anyone, I feel this. Anyone, no, I, I. This is what yeah. I was telling you, Leon. Like yeah. when it came out. I kind of missed the boat when it was out in same, the cinema. Same. And in in hindsight, I realized how good it is. But the years following its release, if for some reason in my head, I got the impression that it was considered one of the less good Pixar Yeah, offerings. this is where I got it from, that it, it ended up on the weaker end of the scale for some reason. Do you think that was just a Leicester thing? Like, people from Leicester didn't like The Incredibles for whatever reason, and I we just didn't go see it. I don't know. I just I just remember it not being a huge thing or not seeing or hearing loads about it and not knowing Mm. anyone that got that excited about it or i don't know maybe it was just the circle that like the people that i hung out with back then i don't know or what but (laughs) no maybe those people been them (laughs) yeah it just just... (laughs) 10 years ago (laughs) it just wasn't um, you know i don't know from what i remember there at the time or like not long after it because if i remember correctly and this is probably going to show up my knowledge but i think there was a shrek sequel out that year or something um and that movie made so much money so i think Mm. it became a thing where you are you were 
either super into a particular type of animated movie and that one was a bit more adult and had a different type of flow to it. So it still made money at the cinema, but it wasn't like a monster hit like Shrek, um, which if not was out, if, if, if was not out that year, was out um, in an adjacent year. But in terms of the actual quality, if I remember correctly, all round the reviews are really good. And it was only like weird people who I'd speak to and said, oh, I love uh, A Bug's Life is my favorite picture. <laughs> I was like, who are you? <laughs> you see like i i think it's just me and pixar movies to be honest like i've never really like i don't know what it is i know that there are good pixar films i've enjoyed some pixar films you know i i, I go to cinema i watch them i i like them i cried when i watched toy story 3 um but like i don't know i just never gelled with pixar movies ever really i've never it's never been one of those things where i've been like you know, like people, people get, ex- you know, all, or let's all sit down and watch Shrek and, and, you know, and things like that. And you get these people who, who, who have families and, and everyone <laughs> like wants to sit around as a family and watch these Pixar films. And I've never been one of those people that could ever get on with anything like that or ever. I don't know why I'm just not, you know, like Pixar films are just not something that is, you know, are in you well, 3D animation at all generally? It depends. I guess I mean like the the things that are 3D animated or that that I, I do like uh the T, the 2012 TMNT cartoon was really good for that. Um I'm trying to think of other examples of 3D animated stuff that I've really enjoyed. I was going to say how to train your dragon did you like that one? Yes, that's another yes, Dreamworks one. Yeah, that was good. I did like that. But I'm not uh, this is it you see I'm not really I don't watch the I don't know why I just don't these things don't ever like pop up on my on my radar. Not I because I'm I... intentionally ignoring them or anything, just because I'm just not, I don't know. Well, I, I want to formally distance myself from you because it sounded like we were on the same page earlier. But like, I really, I really like Pixar movies in general. Yeah. And I'm not saying I didn't like Incredibles. I'm saying I kind of missed the zeitgeist of it. Yeah. Um, oh, that and... as well. But I'm not, I'm not saying I hate Pixar movies by any, any, any stretch of the imagination because I don't, <laughs> I don't, when I do sit down and watch them, I think they're good, but they're just not something that sticks with me or, or stays in my memory or something that I get excited about. And I don't know why. Do you think it's this thing of where most Pixar films are trying to serve both children and adults at the same time and they're having this childish story but telling a very mature well, no. like allegory through it uh, quite often? I don't know mm. if it's it's that kind of thing. And I tend to really like that merging of two worlds. You know? Not even that. Not even that because there's things that are like that that I enjoy. Mm. I don't know. You're just broken, Brig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted to backpedal slightly because um, I was I, I was ripping on you with Batman. There is actually a really cool sequence in The Incredibles two which gives me like Batman versus Scarecrow vibes. I okay. think you really dig that. I, yeah. I think you should give it a chance anyway. Maybe you yeah. check out in the cinema because like like Leon was saying, seeing it as a spectacle film, seeing it on a big screen with really good audio, it's one of those one of the rare films where I've kind of lost myself in the movie and I had a moment where I kind of woke up and realised that I was watching a film. Like, you know, when you get yeah. so into it that you're not yeah. even paying attention to maybe, where you are. Maybe I shouldn't, because you guys have just made me sound like a monochrome man in a technicolour world. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, thing is, the, the set pieces are really good, but like everybody and their mother said about the original movie back in 2004, it's the best Fantastic Four movie. 
jump mm. 14 years in the future to now, it's still the best Fantastic Four movie, <laughs> and this is a great Fantastic Four sequel. Yeah, okay, I'll have to go check it out. Um, I'll have to rewatch the first one as well because it's been a few years since I've seen it. While um, we're on the topic of 3D animated movies, have we talked about um, Into the Spider-Verse? Did we ever mention just how amazing that trailer looks? No, we didn't. Can we gush about it for a minute? Yes. Because it looks so good. Like, we're, we're a bit late to the game here because the trailer was released a month, maybe two ago. Yeah. Um, but, oh, my God, the style of that, that movie, the style of that trailer and the music and, like, some of the shots where he's, like, falling upwards into the city and, ah, it's so cool. Now that I'm excited about. There we go. There you go. <laughs> you found something I'm excited about that's 3D. I am very excited about that after watching the trailer. And I've got nothing much more to add to that other than the fact that I'm excited. Very excited. Because <laughs> I'm like... I want to watch the whole thing and then gush about it big style. Um, And I think there's like one last thing as far as movie goes, movies go on this list. I think this is something you wanted to draw attention to, isn't it, Leon? Yeah. Um, talking about influential movies from last decade that um, have affected movies... Um, that subsequent movies in both positive and negative ways. Hmm. Um, we have uh, The Dark Knight. Um, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight was released this week in uh, here and then the US and most of worldwide 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah, Ten I can't years. believe that. It's a whole decade, man. That's, that's wild. <laughs> it is unbelievable. A tenth of a century. <laughs> a third of our lives ago. <laughs> it, it it is it is a horrible indictment of how harsh uh, Mistress Time is. How I have such vivid memories of seeing it the first time, and I remember the cinema. I remember generally where I was sat, who I yeah. went with. Hmm. Um. And the experience of watching the movie bit by bit. I remember there being a, a grin on my face that started from the first shot. And I don't think it left my face in, until the end of the film. Uh, I remember being in the cinema uh, watching it as well. The first time I saw it. I think I saw this twice at the cinema. Yeah. And then I bought, went out and straight away and bought it on DVD when it came out. Um, and watched it millions of times after that because this film is i i i'm gonna stand by this when i say this i think this is probably the best batman film of all the batman films that includes the I... ones the recent ones the ones from the 1980s um i'm not including the animated ones because they're obviously a tier above everything else anyway but <laughs> i think this is like the best batman film I don't think that's controversial in any strength. Um, <laughs> I, I would probably go even further and say something probably salacious, given what the last 10 years have given us uh, of comic book movies. But uh, in my opinion, this is the best comic book movie that has been made to date. You know and what? I, I, will, I will actually agree with you. Definitely. Like so many sequences in this film that are just so spot on and like amazing to watch on the big screen like um is it when batman goes to the nightclub and he's got sal Maroni 
and oh, he's hanging, yeah. hanging mm. him over the thing. He's like, this fall won't kill me. And Batman's like, I'm counting on it. And just drops him <laughs> anyway. Oh! And then, like, the bit... <laughs> the bit where... um. At the beginning, where it, it, you've got the pe- the guys robbing the bank, and it's a mob bank, and then like they're like bumping each other off one by one as they're doing it, and that's just like such a demented Joker thing to plan. Yeah, mm. like that is it's perfect. It, it was one of those things where the promise that Batman Begins gave us is that we're going to get this uh, gritty, um, like solid, uh, artful. Um, Batman universe and they tease the joke at the end of that movie but like bear in mind before Batman Begins what we'd had with uh, Schumacher um, it just like it, it it was a firework um, and I feel like the the first movie underperformed um, but I love the fact that Warner Brothers just doubled down with this movie and it's pretty much it feels like as as all of Nolan's uh, Christopher Nolan's movies feel like, they feel like he has final cut on these big tentpole movies, and that is wild. But you can feel it, mm-hmm. and the way um, like he comes together with um, his his brother on on script, and maybe some ideas from Goya, but he definitely <laughs> didn't contribute dialogue. Um, um, you got. Wally Fister's amazing cinematography. You've got um, James Newton Howard and Hans Zimmer's like beautiful, classic, perfect score. Um, all of it um, comes together so well in this in this film. Um, Nathan Crowley's production design is unbelievable, where, um, and it does the thing that was thought to be impossible, where we're given a really good villain who pretty much steals the film, but, like, all of it works so well. Um, and n- none of it is, um, like, because it's pulling from various different storylines, like The Long Halloween and um, The Killing Joke and stuff like that. And it's pulling from loads of different stories, but it, it's none of it is purely accurate. The character of Rachel doesn't exist in, in the comics and all that. But... What it does so well is it takes these different ingredients and puts them into a living, breathing world and lets it all play out like a modern cat and mouse thriller. At times feeling like a comic book version of Michael Mann's Heat, even including um, William Fickner passing the torch, Bale, Ledger, Eckhart, Kane, Gyllenhaal and Oldman, I feel or knock it out of the park. The supporting cast too. Tiny Lister subverting the audience expectations in that masterfully tense scene on the boat is beautiful. I love this movie like so much as you can probably tell, and I could gush about it for hours. It feels like a great culmination of all the things that have come before it. But morbidly, it's intriguing how it's affected things that have come after it on a production level. Feels like Warner Brothers seem to learn all the wrong lessons, as evidenced by the DCU films. They basically got Nolan and 
Emma Thomas on as producers. And Zack Snyder and David Goyer tried to Batmanify Superman, which feels just wrong. Doesn't work. And they continue down that road with Snyder and the other DC film brain trust at the time just completely go gritty, gritty, grimdark, and in a lot of ways miss the point of what makes these heroes so great. Whereas on the flip side, I feel studios like Marvel, while having a completely different tone, they took better lessons from The Dark Knight. I mean, bear in mind, at this point, they had just launched the MCU, and just released Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk a few months prior. I feel like, in terms of that big spectacle with big adult ideas and themes, they successfully de- um, delivered, especially with Winter Soldier and Civil War. They also seem to respect the spirit of their characters and like, are not afraid to take fun, bold chances like with Guardians. There's like colour in their films more than brown and grey. Kind of wish Warner Brothers would look to their DC animated films, which have been pretty great for the most part, or even look further back to the Bruce Timm and Paul Dini animated series like Batman TAS and such. That's the thing. And on a fandom level, I feel like this is the movie that spawned the cult of Nolan in the worst way and led to the toxic DC fan base. You know, the ones who claim Disney payoff critics and Rotten Tomatoes is rigged who harass the writers of negative DC reviews and who still believe there's a goddamn Snyder Cut of Justice League. Ultimately, I'd say The Dark Knight is an important film. A film that changed the general perception of superhero films, but also genre films as a whole. And a decade later, it still holds up as the best. Yeah, the, the one thing that I wanted to say about this movie, um, the couple of things that I want to say about this movie is, yeah, like it, at the time it was released, it stood out and it steamrolled all of its peers completely. And the the Joker, like like you were saying, the villain that completely steals the show. You almost forget that there is actually a second villain in this in this movie, and that we are also treated to Harvey Dent, which is great. Which I didn't even. I did that didn't even register until you mentioned the long Halloween saying that it draws from the long Halloween and I was like oh yeah but yeah no it's um yeah such a great film and uh it's been around for 10 years which is shocking like you said <laughs> I guess we're officially old now anyway so we should move on from movies to comics and uh which is the purpose of this podcast so we should start talking about the things that we read so um what I've got here, uh, first one on our list is Relay number one. Now, if you remember back a few episodes, if you listened to our free comic book day one, um, I got a copy of Relay Zero on free comic book day, which was the um, kind of like the 
sort of taster slash setup to what this whole comic series was going to be about. Now, this is Relay, um, published on Aftershock Comics, and we have a creative team of uh, writer Zach Thompson, artist Andy Clark. Uh, we've also got um, Eric Broomberg, Donny Cates, uh, working with Zach Thompson on the story. We've got Jose Villarubia um, with Dan Brown as colorists. We've got Charles Pritchett as a letterer. Andy Clark and Dan Brown did cover A for the book. Christian Ward did cover B. Um, Jared K. Fletcher, logo designer. Um, Charles Pritchett, production. Mike Martz was the editor. And we've got other variant covers by um, Kale Ngu, Lucio Parillo, and Hayden Sherriman. Um, so, yeah, it's got quite a big team behind it. And it shows. It's a really nicely put together book. Really really well finished um the artwork in it is just incredible like the amount of detail and everything else i just i just couldn't get over that um what we've got is we've got this kind of um psychedelic sci-fi well this this kind of retro styled sci-fi story with a psychedelic edge i guess is the best way i can put it because it draws influence from a lot of maybe late 70s into the 80s sci-fi films. Um, I don't know if you agree with me on that, Ray. I'd say so. It has, yeah. It definitely has a, like a Blade Runner vibe. Yeah, I mean, we were discussing that like just prior to the show, um, b- b- to before recording, that it does have a Blade Runner vibe, but I think it's got more in common with things like 2001 Space Odyssey than Blade Runner. I don't know if you, how you feel about that. Oh, definitely, like, thematically, but I mean... Because I, I haven't read this properly. You say, we've all read this. I've kind of skimmed it, so I've not really been paying too much yeah. attention to the words, but I've been, like, poring over the images. And I can I can definitely agree with you with, like, there are some things here that are reminiscent of, say, 2001, with the scope of things and, like, with an obelisk and all of that. Yeah. Um, but that muted, diffused, orange, like, almost sickeningly syrupy environment thing i think is what i mean by the blade runner style like that heavy effusive yeah you know busy world yeah i mean at the core of this story we've got this uh this relay system which we have this this uh this one man this messiah-like figure i guess who hops from planet to planet and offers exchange of information um with other cultures on these planets but is also assimilating them into one whole um network if you like where ideas are shared and things become i guess homogenous might be the word Hmm. where everything is is as one i think is, is what we're looking for um and uh through it's done through this system of um markers i guess they're called markers aren't they which is this giant black obelisk thing um which is like part which is i think it's part of the the relay system um and yeah it's just it, it this this book is um it's grand in that sense because it deals with this uh in issue one we're 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 on earth and earth has received this this uh 
Earth has Earth has taken this um, this idea exchange that is Earth has become part of this deal with this uh, this originator, this this one man who is like this messiah style figure who is is spreading this knowledge throughout the universe, um, and like they they revere him almost like a god, like a you know like an idol, like a Jesus type figure, um, and through this sci-fi story of this man visiting planets and connecting them that you know visiting worlds and bringing worlds together but also you know as well as bringing worlds together he's not really giving them much of a choice because once he's there you either accept or be, or be annihilated i guess is the option he's giving these people which is not good um and it, it for me it's um like in issue one we've got them embarking on a journey to try and find the first world because that is the that is what the the sort of end goal is. This is what the um, the giant black obelisk is telling you to do. It's to try and find the first world, find find this guy, find his, find his world, and um, they they're setting off on some kind of pilgrimage to try and find that. And no one's ever found any evidence of his world before. And it just for me, it's it's like these psychedelic ideas about reality and existence about you know shared consciousness and ideals um it explore for me it explores the purpose of religion and or god and also brings up uh sort of questions about indoctrination unified ideas or you know and the the fact that you know believe or or you know like follow follow my way or be obliterated kind of thing this kind of totalitarianism that comes with it um and yeah it's just Many of the things that I've already brought up when I've talked about this before, really, when I talked about issue zero, the art, as as before, is, like, it's beautiful. Um, it's very nicely detailed. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interesting things going on with the colours, some really good uses of perspective and some really interesting panels in the way things are illustrated, um, as well as expression on people's faces and the way things happen. I just... I love every inch of this book, like, when I'm pouring through it again now, just looking at some of the pages, some of the uses of, like, um, the way they've got onomatopoeia, like, worked in behind panels and things like that on some... This is a two-page splash where they've got, like, this whole noise going on the whole time, like, some kind of, like, sound, uh, kind of like an alarm-type sound, I guess, like a loud kind of disabling screech. Um, And while that's happening, you've got things happening in that same moment and these are represented as panels laid over the top of this deafening screech which is basically like the whole backdrop to these panels is the onomatopoeia type thing and that works really well i really enjoyed that yeah and the noise itself is kind of like breaking apart the panel construction like it's yeah it's shaking, shaking the everything core of the story yeah 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 and it's really nice how they do that and yeah there's some great use of perspective and everything else and it's just it's just a beautiful beautiful book and yeah it's has echoes of all of these great psychedelic sci-fi films that have come before and um yeah it asks some interesting questions uh brings you know brings up stuff about the origins of the human race and that kind of stuff and it's it's something you can read and bug out to (laughs) i guess because it's got that kind of like you know it's chill but at the same time it's heavy if you understand where i'm coming from does that make sense I know what you mean, but I don't yeah. agree with it. You don't agree? Because <laughs> I don't. I don't think this this book is chill at all. I think it's like it's so 
dense and busy that it kind of put me on edge. And again, granted, I was rushing my way through it, but I felt rushed and anxious reading this, which isn't a mark against the book. It's just the vibe that it gave me. Um, I do like yeah. it. I want to give it a proper chance, but there's some some of the stuff, like if I can just jump on and give my brief thoughts here, unless you have anything to... to no, go ahead, go ahead. Because yeah, we were talking about the panel construction and how you said that that disabling noise and how it basically yeah. like... It, it's like it's thunking out the from the back of the comic, like it's mm. pushing out these panels and like they're they're tumbling like glass. Some of the there's some really creative use of the panel construction and like there's one or two pages which like one of the early pages where we see this huge splash picture of the monolith in the background. Yeah. And we see a character falling um in the foreground ahead of it. But it's 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 really oddly layered. So it's like the um you've got these cutout panels which are showing what's happening to the character as he's falling. But it's almost like he's falling in the right perspective as you would see him against the camera, against the backdrop of the monolith. And then he's got these like little slivers of the background panel against it. It's really disorienting and like it's just confusing to read in an interesting way. And then the next panel is it's following the same like the conventional nine panel structure, but it's kind of like deliberately disregarding some of the rules of flow that you would get from the nine panel thing where everything's really cramped and tight and it really sells that idea of just how busy and chaotic the world is. Um, so yeah, yeah, I really admire it for some of these, these inventive steps they've taken to actually like put some effort into mm. selling, selling an emotion as well as just explaining what's happening instead of just giving the text. Yeah. And, and minor correction to something I said before, the, um, the giant obelisk thing is actually called a relay. They refer to it as the relay. I gave it like mm. three different names, but it's the relay. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so much going on in this book sometimes that I, I just missed stuff for leaning into the philo- philosophical side of it. Like um, you've got like these. Um, like, I don't know, it, it like they, they talk about how the subversion that's happening, like these people that are rebelling against the ideas that the marker represents throughout this story because there are obviously there are groups that disagree because there's always going to be where you've got free will and it's like the question of like you know why the the the, a creator giving its creation free will and things like that and um question overarching questions about like the will of the said creator and blindly following that will and just that just that kind of stuff these big questions that probably come up at the end of a party at 4 a.m. when you're a little bit blasted you know <laughs> but yeah it's that, it's that kind of thing it's the stuff it's the stuff that i i kind of enjoy sometimes and i like to read and think about it and yeah it's it's really good i like it it, it definitely has me on board anyway i don't know about you ray yeah i i mean i'm i'll i'll take another skim through it and i'm gonna see i'm not as sold on it as you are i think but i think that's because it's given me that that buzzy feeling yeah um the only other note I've got against this um, is speaking of blasted. They've got the minority report like percussive guns. I just yeah. think that's cool. That's a cool yeah. touch. Yeah, it is. And uh, like like the non-lethal percussive guns thing, which is kind of mm. cool. Yeah. And you know the whole thing starts in this dirty, horrible city, and their whole job is to chase down dissent and quell it, basically, which. Yeah, it's it's like this whole, it's for the good of the people, but is it for the good of the people thing, this totalitarian regime that this relay system represents? I also like that on, on the picture on the wall, it's like Magritte's apple painting, but instead yeah. of the apple, it's the monolith. Yeah, and then there's the other That's... one. Have you seen the Michelangelo one earlier in the book? 
Which one was that? Oh, like the 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 touch of God. Yeah, where he's reaching down, <laughs> and yeah. uh, he's surrounded by farmers and corn. <laughs> And you've got some graffiti artist painting it. But apparently his image is forbidden. Although people know what he looks like. I don't know. It's weird. It's an interesting story and I want to see where it goes. And I want to know what's happening. And I want I want to know where all this came from. And who this guy is. Because I get the feeling that he's... He's not such a nice person. Especially from the, if you've read Zero. But then also he's not doing this of his own will. Like if you've read Zero. This isn't his show. He's just like a tool and a, 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 of of something bigger. There's something bigger than him telling him what to do, you know? Which is really weird and really cool at the same time. So, yeah. No, I'm, in, I'm into it and I want to know where it goes. So, that was Relay number one and you can buy that now. Um, that brings us on to the next one, which is one that came out this week, which was the 18th, which is something that I've been looking forward to because we've had a bit of a break from this series and now it's back and it's, it's back. It's, it's as uneasy and as feel bad as ever. It's ice cream, man. Now I've been waiting for this because they've been teasing it for such a long time. The story in this particular issue of Ice Cream Man, this is Ice Cream Man issue 5, is called Ballad of a Falling Man. And uh, the tagline is a story that lasts a hundred stories, which uh, I guess has something to do with the very large building that the guys just jumped off of. So, um, yeah, it's it's back and it's, it's on form and it's as unsettling as ever and I love it. Um, if I ever saw a nightmare committed to comic book form, then this is it. Like, this is it. It's got the, the, like, the disjointed ordinary and the fact that, you know, things are happening. Something isn't quite right and horrible things are happening, but they seem, but people are, tra- everyone else is treating this as normal and you're just trapped in this nightmare, you know? Um, you've got this, 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 um, this girl, Veronica, this, this woman, uh, in this building. Um, I think she works there. It doesn't really say what, what capacity or what she does, but there's like board meetings going on and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know what the function of this this business is but it seems to be to do with money so maybe a bank or maybe a law firm dealing with money i don't know something financial um and the book opens with a guy throwing himself on the building and on his way down the building he's confessing you know all the horrible things he's done and the fact that he you know he wants to be at peace before he hits the floor basically um at the same time this is happening there's all kinds of weird stuff going on inside the building and the building is the waking nightmare um where this this woman is trying to escape the building um there's like a buzzard eating the brains of someone in a board meeting and then goes and picks the eye out of another person and there's millipedes and there's severed heads and there's dudes having their guts eaten by rats and it's just fantastic start to finish um and it really really captures the dread of you know like when you have a nightmare and You've got that, I don't know if you've ever remembered a nightmare vividly, but you've got that overbearing feeling of dread when you're being chased by something in your dreams. Well, this brings that to the page perfectly, and you you get it when you're reading it. You get that vibe, and to capture that, like, in a bottle kind of thing, is I think is something really cool and really special. And also, the use of perspective and things in the artwork in this book... Um, when we're getting the uh, the images of the the guy falling, 
and you know we've got this like small almost like infinitesimal against the, this huge backdrop of like glass and steel as he's like dropping down this fragile small thing falling such a great distance against this goliath of a building and like the use of perspective and size and things when he's looking down from the rooftop and everything it's just perfect it's absolutely brilliant uh, and it get, gives you that, you know, that falling feeling, that helplessness that you get when you have a falling dream because you know you're falling and there's nothing you can do. It, it's that. It, it's just that. And it, it's, you get that sick, uneasy sensation of of like facing something and being unable to stop it. And, and it's just great. It's like dread on a page. I love it. And yeah, and, and the way that they represent. I mean, I've talked about the artwork for this book before. We've talked about Ice Cream Man hundreds of times on this cast, I think. But like the... Um, the way they get the detail into people's expressions, like representations of horror and delirium and just this whole thing is just brilliant. And it's just like it, it um something that Leon brought up last time actually, and last it does it does the thing of laying panels over panels where it shows things happening within the moment and something we've just brought up when we talked about relay, in fact. Um where where things everything's happening in the same moment on in, in a single snapshot of time and like you've got like one overarching image at the back and then lots of smaller images laid over the front, which I, I, you know, I always think it's a really cool technique. Um, But all these things are happening in the same moment kind of thing. And it's great how it does that. And it adds to the urgency and the desperation of the content, you know, like they're trying to get away from it or trying to get out. Um, Yeah. And it's, I guess one of the, one of the things I wrote down when I was thinking of this is hallucinatory anxiety. And I don't know if that's just my lack of sleep showing when I was reading this and writing notes or what, but that's what came out when I was like, um, when I was trying to describe what was going on in this book. And yeah, the story that lasts a hundred stories indeed. <laughs> no, it's great. I loved it. Um, start to finish. I, I didn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I cannot, I can never find a fault with ice cream, man. I can't. And it's you know it's something it's something that's really cool and it's something that i always look forward to and uh, month after month i will continue to look forward to this book because when i do get one it is something special um and uh, i'll just run through the creative credits for that so we've got uh writer w maxwell prince art by martin marazzo colors by chris o'halloran lettering by good old neon um, cover A is Marazzo and O'Halloran and uh, cover B is Fraser Irving and we have design by Ashley Walker. So yeah, that is Ice Cream Man issue 5. Currently on the stands and available since since the 18th. Yeah, uh, and you guys need to get out and read it because it's fantastic. Oh, I've got it. I picked it up uh, the other day. <laughs> um, I just haven't got around to reading, I think, issues yeah. 3 onwards. So it's something I need to get to. Yeah. But I mean, if you've ever if you've ever remembered a nightmare vividly and you've ever felt those sensations, then this book will bring it back to you. And to be able to capture that and put it on a page, I think is something really special. And like it is an absolute triumph for that creative team to have been able to to produce something like this. It's brilliant. It's a great return to form from from a break. Definitely. Yeah. Rave review for that one. I'm going to try and uh, catch up. I'm a few issues behind, I think. But uh, if if it's... um if it's doing some quite interesting things now, it seems like a good time to jump yeah. back in. The feel bad series of the year, they call it. But yeah, no, it's great. Um, so that's, that's me, I guess that's the end of my comics. Um, with the end of the end of the ones that I'm going to introduce and talk about. So, uh, up to now we are back to you, Ray, I guess. Well, 
Greg. So if you're feeling like you need something similar to Ice Cream Man, but you've run out of Ice Cream Man to read, you should check out this new comic called She Could Fly. Um, the reason I bring this up immediately after Ice Cream Man is because it has the same artist, um, Martin Morazzo. Uh, very similar art style, and you were talking about hallucinatory anxiety. That's this comic in a nutshell. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> so writer Christopher Cantwell or Cantwell, yeah. Um, artist Martin Morazzo of Ice Cream Man fame, colorist um, Miroslav Murva, and letterer Clem Robbins. And so this is a story about a woman who can fly, but that she's not the protagonist of the story this woman who can fly has been spotted um just soaring over the world over 50 times and the world is obsessed with her um particularly our hero luna is entirely obsessed with her her waking thoughts are filled with this woman who can fly and she dreams of flight because she thinks that up in the air she'll be free from her own thoughts and it turns out that luna all, uh, when she's not thinking about the flying woman she's thinking about these violent intrusive thoughts um, you know, clearly suffering from some form of compulsive disorder behavior. And she fantasizes fearfully of hurting the people she loves. Um, and then essentially the story is about when something happens to this flying woman, she somehow feels that it was her fault, her responsibility, something she did. Um, and it's basically seeing how she reacts to the world around her as she's coping with her particular anxieties, her particular violent thoughts. Um I can't say I really understand where it's going, but if you like these stories of nightmares, falling, and anxiety, um, it's it's super evocative of all of those things. And if you like uh, Martin Morazzo's art style, there's it's more of the same, but again, in a good way for that. Um, yeah, I don't really have much else to add on that, but it's a really, really interesting premise. Um, and I'm hooked because... I, I want to know what this is leading up to. I want to know what the mystery behind this flying woman is. I want to know how Luna is going to, you know, take steps to to cope because she takes some pretty big decisions towards the end of this book. And uh, yeah, I want to see what comes of it. So yeah, uh, that think... she could fly by Burger Books. Hmm. I think it's good um, to have these kinds of stories because, like, you know, like we're 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 saying that these kind, you know, we're we're positive about these kinds of stories and things, but feelings like anxiety and stuff like that it's 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 horrible this is one way to put it because you know it just it just is it's just not good but it's good to be able to know that other people you know to 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 kind of sometimes know that other people know what that that feels like and and are able to communicate it in this way that you can feel it from their art and things like that and it's like yes that's it people and people do understand i guess and this book that you're talking about here kind of has echoes of something you've discussed on this cast before um the book about obsessive compulsive disorder that you brought at one time yeah i see i was going to ask yeah. you if you remember which one that was because i can't i can i can picture something about violent intrusive thoughts in a previous episode but i can't remember what book it was now brown um, yes that's ex yeah that's it very different style and very different um yeah reaction like i think now brown is more contemplative it's more about how she internalizes all of her thoughts and what hmm how that affects her relationships. This is more, slightly more action-packed and seeing how other people are reacting to her and just also the state yeah. of the world that's been affected by this, you know, this supernatural event. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, and it has that unsettling just look that Martin Morazzo provides. Um, and I think, I think it's on par, like it's you know, delivering the same thing that Ice Cream Man is. Uh, yeah, I really like it. I'm in, I'm in for the whole thing. There's like, 
just strange, sudden, yeah. and like shocking twists of violence and surrealism, which which are sold really well. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm digging it. But it, it, again, like it sounds like a conversation about obsessive compulsive disorder, which is always, you know. Yeah, there's a connection yeah. there. Like if if it's something you even mildly um, can relate to, there's there's something here to latch onto. It, it, yeah. it provides it in a visceral way that you can you yeah. can feel like oh somebody else knows what this feeling is. You know, that's it's... that's what I was trying to get across with ice cream mm. man because you can relate to that if you've ever felt that you can relate to that, and that's that's one of the things I like about books like this that kind of bring that in and try to show people what it's like for stuff like that. Yeah, I think um, generally that's the kind of horror I like, the yeah. kind that that is like an extrapolation of a feeling you you know you may already have inside you in some capacity. Yeah, and also it's it's a way to to sort of like say, you know, other people do know what it feels like. So yeah, um, yeah. So I think I'll have to check that one out if it's anything like Ice Cream Man number five. I will have to check that out. I think it's a good compliment. Yeah, yeah. You got another one there in the barrel. Do I? Let me have a look one moment. Oh, yeah. So picked up uh, Life of Captain Marvel. Leon, have you read this one as well? Yeah, I've, I've read this. Okay. Because um, I don't... I, I'm not sure where I want to I want to take this. Originally, I picked it up just because it's Captain Marvel, um, because I'm hoping that at some point it might relate to Ms. Marvel. I. It's basically... It's, it's telling a story of where Captain Marvel, as in Carol, Carol Danvers, came from. Um, it's her returning to her hometown and dealing with the fallout of um, a couple of things. Like it starts off with her uh, having what looks like a panic attack um, on Father's Day. You know, looking back and having these these tortured memories of her childhood, and so she goes back home to try and you know figure out what's happening with her, what's making her react like this, and then, like I said, the fallout of some things that occur because of her returning home, and it looks to be a uh, you know, a deconstruction of her origin story and also what she means to the Avengers and also to the people back at home. Um, and I think the reason I really picked it up was because I love the cover and I picked up the variant cover by Joe Casada, which is gorgeous. It's like this blue dusk and, you know, um, Captain Marvel's back is to to the, the page. It's just this lovely flowing image. Um so uh, let me go through the credits. So it's written by Margaret Stoll, and then the art credits are divided by present day and flashbacks. So in the present day, we have pencils by Carlos Pancheco, Pancheco um, inks by Rafael Fonteris, colors by Marcio Menes, um, and then the flashback artist is Marguerite Sauvage. And then letters for both is Clayton Cowles. Um, and then we've got the main cover by Julian Totino Tedesco. Uh, variant covers by Joe Caseda, uh, Richard Isanov, Sana Takeda, Fiona Staples, and Art Gem. And um, do you have anything that you want to say on this, Leon? Uh, yeah. Um, so I think I'd seen this on either a pull list, one of you guys' pull lists, or um, seen the book mentioned as uh, coming soon. Uh, and because I remember seeing at the end of this issue, they show you like the, the issue for this for the next issue, uh, the cover for the next issue, which is um, Captain Marvel st- standing in a bedroom looking at a mirror, and then it's uh, younger Carol um, doing the same pose, looking back at her in the mirror. Mm. Um, and, and that was quite a cool image that I thought, okay, let me check this out. And 
yeah, I really like the um, the standard cover, which I believe is by Julian Totino Tedesco. Yeah. Um, and it, it just has such a, a cool sort of watercolor painted style look. And I love how it gives a lot of like Superman vibes in a way because it's this um, this big sort of like not farmhouse, but it's like a this big house, um, a big garden um, with like porch and everything. Like American white, not picket yeah. fence, but like the it's got the the veranda with the, yeah. the fence around it and everything. Yeah, and you've got like a a, a woman and uh, and a a younger man behind her, and they're like looking up uh, as she um as captain marvel is sort of hovering above them with uh with luggage um and you later find out that that's her her mum and her older brother but it is such a cool evocative image that i think um and uh, it, it it lures you in and in terms of oh it's a homecoming type story mm. but then uh actually it's quite brutal yeah but um, yeah, I, I, what I found intriguing about it was that, like I've mentioned on a previous cast, talking about Captain Marvel, um, I've got quite—I've always had quite a limited knowledge of Captain Marvel. I've read a tiny bit, but um, it was only until recently that I started um, digging in a bit more. But um, so I missed—I've always like—I've been aware of Carol when like when she was Miss Marvel and all that. But I was long gone, not reading ongoing Marvel comics at that point. So mm-hmm. I've always had quite a, a tangential idea of her character. Um, and what's interesting about this book is that it does seem to to stack a lot of these interesting um, themes and ideas in there. And, and some while well... Um, well mined in other media um it it manages to at least make them appear a bit a bit fresher and um the way it handles like daddy issues which is so overused but in this i think it's digging into something deeper and like the way it manages to pick up on sibling dynamics um and like guilt and like and not guilt for like certain actions leading to certain events but also the same type of guilt when you've like moved out and um you've not been home in a while um and you 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 return home after not visiting for a long time and things have changed and people have sort of moved on without you and people are like not resentful but more so like in this case resentful but in more so like you've sort of grown detached and i think it handles that stuff really well i love the art of the um the flashbacks done by marguerite uh savage as you were saying it it has this this cool it's hard to explain but it has this sort of cool look where Without any particular effects, I think just because the colours are a lot, a lot lighter and pastely mm. in some ways, you instantly can tell you're looking at a flashback, but it doesn't feel signalled in quite a, an annoying way, which I which I quite like, and I like 
the designs of each of the characters and just the way the perspective's done, where it's a focus on the kids and the parents are like uh, out, out of frame, no details, or we just see like um, arms holding a Polaroid. Like it's it, it the well well composed um, panels with that. And I like how it's all coloured and how it looks. I think that's really cool. And uh, like the main book, yeah, it's quite interesting. I really like the um, relationship between Carol and Stark in this mm. and how there's this, this really um, like loving bond there. Um, and it has a big idea of giving people space, but but checking in on them and like they have to go through their thing, but you're there trying to trying to help help them or push them along so i really um i really like how that's done um but yeah it hit, hits on these 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 interesting themes and because of my ignorance of the character it it, it feels um more compelling for me and i just like the idea of like it has a lot of superman vibes like i was saying about the cover and just shots of her flying home to visit her mum who's on the farm like building and it's like mm-hmm. it has all of these like sort of tropes but it's New England not Kansas um, and it from all of like the fiction that I've interacted with that's been sort of based uh, around Long Island it does sort of capture a lot of the feelings of what these sort of seaside towns alike and what um what it's like for people who didn't leave and being like a big shot who's who's returning home like um there's like an official uh, the people claiming because it's her home it's like oh the official donut of captain marvel <laughs> things like that which are cool but um yeah i wasn't wasn't expecting um that from this i, I knew it would go to like some interesting places because why else go back down memory lane but uh, yeah it gets it gets dark pretty fast and um i am definitely gonna check out the second issue because i want to see more of what what's going on and and they do sort of have a hook which is a bit more comic booky but i'm hoping that that makes things more interesting and not more conventional which is how it could feel yeah, I have to agree with a lot of that. Um, you've basically taken the things that are in my head and laid them out for me. Like, there's there's so much that I admire about this book. I think one of the big things that stands out to me is the relationship between her and Tony Stark. Because um, like you said, it's that whole thing of giving people space when they need the space. But he's also, it, like, she's come home and she's the big shot. But not just a big shot, she's a big shot with a calling. You know, there's she has a higher purpose. And, you know, to be part of, to be one of the strongest Avengers... And the world needs her in a way, but she also needs to take time to collect herself and, you know, do, um, take self-care. And so when Tony comes in to check on her, he's also got this, this slightly nagging insistence that he, she needs to come back and assist him with, you know, protecting Earth. And she's, she's not ready for it. And I really, I really like that dynamic because there's a little bit of tension there, but it's also, well, they, you know, the respected colleagues as well as friends. Um, I think that comes across really well. Uh, the art style of the flashbacks, I really like that. Like, there's something about that style that just it's it's felt. I feel like it's made for me. There's something about that wistful um, 
colorful cartoony palette where then it dives into the whole like the dot matrix old school comic printing styles and stuff that i really really adore and like you said the 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 framing of the kids where everything's quite like squashed in and suffused and you know the the um the relationship between the kids and the adults is really well sold yeah i really i really can't wait to see where this goes and i'm not i have to admit i'm a little bit left cold by the hook at the end but like you said i want to just see what what they do with that and hopefully i'll make it better instead of going into a a cliched place but yeah that's that's all i have on on that definitely sold for uh, the Life of Captain Marvel, issue number one and then two, which will be out next month. Might have to get on that and check that out, <laughs> as with a lot of things you guys mentioned. Hmm. So much to read, so little time. Well, yeah. I, I was going to say, because Leon mentioned that the front cover gives him a Superman vibe, which I agree with, but I also think it gave me a bit of like Tom King's The Vision vibe. Hmm. Yeah. Like this... this not necessarily foreboding because it's not quite as dark as the vision comics but that thing about you know the the family life the rural um you know the rural countryside area that that kind of thing i think comes across Mm. so if you like that there's there's shades of that in this yeah for sure so um leon there's this one book that both of us read right do you want to take this one away yes did you have a thrilling adventure hour greg Oh, yes, I very much did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the thrilling adventure um, hour, uh, number one, from Boom Comics, is quite an interesting book. Uh, Interesting is always my go-to word, and then I I break it down as I talk. But, yeah, it's interesting. (laughs) But you've... Like, the cover itself is pretty cool, because... the Jonathan Case cover where you have this couple who are sort of uh, lounged out um, sipping um, martinis and in the background there's like a cartoony ghost um, sort of resting on its cartoony um, like arm in a sort of like well 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 or you guys going to stop drinking and come and start doing some ghost busting so uh, it already it has this sort of fun cool vibe they go there and like the, the first page has like the splash of all the credits and you have like um, an introduction which goes like it's time to send the little ones to dreamland and set the radio dial to spooky steal <laughs> yourself for mysterious suspense in beyond belief the Thrilling Adventure Hour, or I should say Acker and Blacker present The Thrilling Adventure Hour. I was going to say, this is one of the first things that stuck out to me, the way it does like the whole radio play thing. Yeah, and it's cool art on that page because they're in silhouette, so you, they're sort of the sort of greeny uh, or uh, yellow colour, and the, the detail is in black, so you've got the olives in their drinks, um, you've got... Um, Frank's the husband, his tie, and you have a Sadie's uh, necklace in there. And I think it's a really cool touch. But um, yeah, it's written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, uh, illustrated by MJ Erickson. Colors are done by Brittany Peer, and the lettering is done by Mike Fiorentino. 
Um, and yeah, th- this is this is. I didn't know what to expect going into this book because um, I came across this accidentally while I was reading. I think it was a Vox article, and it came up, and I saw the co- uh, cover, and I thought, okay, that looks that's interesting. Um, I want to read something. I want to read something different. Um, that's not because one book I was reading was superhero, and I was planning to read the relay, um, but I didn't didn't have enough time. But I wanted to read something that was that was different. And boom, are usually um, are good for that. They they um, seem to invest and propel like a lot of um, a lot of cool and offbeat ideas. So anyway, the the basic story of this is that um, there's a guy who he basically lives in a haunted apartment that he rents, and he requests the help of two married and eccentric um, ghost hunters, Frank and Sadie Doyle. Um, and meanwhile, there's a reporter slash gumshoe, really, who is um, chasing a lead on, on a missing girl. And the lead he's chasing happens to be the guy with the haunted house. So you have these two paths uh, sort of sort of crossing, but we don't know um, how they meet up yet. Rewind uh, to the Eldritch prologue in Zurich as well. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Wherever that fits, I don't know yet, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the thing I sh- should mention before any of this starts. Yeah, in in Zurich, there's a prologue. Um, and the writing's all different as well, um, like the lettering. So, like, most of it is sort of normal, all-capitalized lettering. But for the prologue, it's um, it's like a special font. And I think that's to highlight that they're speaking um, in one of the languages in Switzerland, possibly yeah. German. From I'm just guessing off the look of one of the dudes. But, um, and yeah, and they're at a castle, and they're packing stuff into um, a van and uh, without going into any super detail they start to talk about uh, like rumors they've heard and then also feelings that they've got and it's such a cool setup because um, the way they both are on the same page immediately but by describing the feeling they have in different ways is is amazing um like I'll just say one, um, like, um, do you, hey, do you feel whispers in your brain? Like utter fear is crawling like a hundred angry spiders across your thoughts. And it's just like, it's it's horrible. <laughs> and it, uh, uh, it does give me shades to all the, you have these Twilight Zone type um, setups. Or like even recently, uh, season two of Riverdale. Yes. The Crate. <laughs> <laughs> the Crate with Julian uh, Archie. Yeah, it, it's it's a cool it's a cool intro to the book, um, and it does it immediately opens up the world in quite a cool way. But yeah, the um, the Doyles are, are pretty funny. Um, they're like the typical like eccentric, what you think of like upper class um, people. They're a little posh. They're definitely alcoholics. <laughs> Um, and they have a particular set of skills, and that seems to involve ghost hunting, uh, or not really ghost hunting, more exercising, or like just clearing, moving ghosts on, 
um, for hire, but they they have such a code and the way they speak is so belabored that they have certain rules. Um, and yeah, the intro to them is great because they're insufferably husband and wife. And then you realize they're not alone while they're speaking to each other in these ways. And it's just, they're such oddballs, but, um, but they, they're still quite endearing. And like one of my, uh, favorite lines is when there's a bit that like I mentioned earlier where the, the, a guy um, asks for their help um, and after the, like umming and ahhing if they're gonna gonna help him out they decide they'll help him out and um, and Sadie has a great line where she says we'll be we buy first thing in the morning noon <laughs> and I was like yes that is a mood, <laughs> that is a mood. <laughs> I'll see you first thing in the morning noon <laughs> yeah um, but yeah it, um, it's cool uh, without going into any detail they obviously go to the house and once they're in the house some really freaky shit starts happening and there's like um, there's a cool visual uh, nod to the exorcist um, which I loved um which in- includes silhouette and, and like lamppost, um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's weird because it has an odd tone because these guys have been there, done that. They're like they're, ghosts of their breakfast, and they're they're accompanied by some 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 friends they've got over. One is uh, a, a pragmatic but scaredy cat guy, um, and his wife or sl- or girlfriend. Who is um, uh, a, she's seduced by ghost hunting, uh, and so you, you have that dynamic going on. While these two are sort of like, watch out for this, and make sure we do this before X happens. It's, it's all routine. And so, oh, these ghosts are kind of rude. Like it, it's all that sort of um, pitter patter. And but as these like sort of really scary things are going on, and it's, for them it's just like business. But then. Then things get more weird, and um, it ends in an interesting place. So this is another one, annoyingly, that's going to have to be ed- um, added to the pile. <laughs> so I... I hate starting new comics. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I'm going to carry on and see where this goes, because I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that these two, this couple, are like proper stuck in the 1920s or something. Yeah. It's like, it's like they're like, they stepped out of a black and white movie about ghost hunters. <laughs> That's what it feels like. And the the dialogue and everything as well is like, um, it's like this like suave, sophisticated, old black and white movie script, almost. The way they interact with each other. Like, they talk like people yeah. used to talk in the movies kind of thing. No, definitely. Yeah. And the, the thing that's funny, it kind of reminds me of the film Midnight in Paris, uh, where Owen Wilson's character, um, he, while he while he's in Paris with his family, he goes off for, for night walks by himself. And um, it's magical realist in the sense that he travels back in time to to the twenties when a lot of um American artists and novelists and European people all were in in Paris during that time, so he ends up ha- having uh conversations with um uh fitzgerald and um 
uh, a lot of a lot of the the big names from that time, uh, Zelda Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and a few other people, uh, Cole Porter and such. So it like, it kind of feels like he left the portal or whatever it is in that movie open, and these two have rolled out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. My, one of my favorite parts is when the the guy's knocking on the door, and he's like, "Sorry, but everyone we know is here." That's not true, Frank. We know other people. The doorman downstairs who simply couldn't be worse at his job. My sister, Peter Dactyl Jones. The liquor delivery boy. Every bartender on the Upper West Side. Every liquor delivery boy on the Upper West Side. Are you one of those people? <laughs> I love <laughs> like, that bit. <laughs> like before they've even opened the door. <laughs> yeah, I love that bit. That that just that that one panel there was brilliant, and I just love like the layers of comedy this has, and like. I think they're going for like the old school seance thing as well. You know, like yeah. seances were hip at one time kind of thing. And it's like, they've got that vibe going on with these people. Like, you know, and like the amount of drinking that goes on in this, like everyone's drinking martinis. Like the whole thing where it seems to revolve around alcohol. Um, And then you've got this reporter as well, who's his big scoop is going to be like figuring out what happens after death kind of thing. And, yeah it's just all great all of it's great and the art style is fantastic as well because it really lends itself to like the comedic edge that this whole thing has like very well um and uh what you were mentioning before um the other couple are married okay and one of them's carrying a sidearm by the looks of it that's just me looking at the art but yeah um and like yeah you've got like his the, the wife is like sort of like foolhardy adventurer type you know nothing seems to phase her or put her off and uh, you've got like the quiet careful husband who's just sort of like, I don't think that's such a good idea kind of thing you know I don't really want to go ghost hunting tonight but um yeah it's great all of it is like yeah and that's the thing it has that like out of time feeling yeah because it, you can't really pinpoint when it is because it's not from when they're around because there's a lot more modern things around them but it's not like the the reporter himself, he uses the typewriter, so it's not exactly now. So it has mm. that kind of like the the Incredibles to go back to to look back, like that how that has this sort of sixties vibe. Um, this sort of has that as well, where it, it's it's out of time, but in a, in a really in a really cool way. Yeah, it's like out of time at the same time. It's not. And, you know, down down to the way the main characters are dressed as well. It's really cool. Um, yeah, no, I love it. And I want to see what happens next. I need to see what happens next. <laughs> I hate that you guys are having so much fun without me, so I'm going to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you have to. It's brilliant. <laughs> I will, I'll check it out. The front cover looks really cool. I like these, yeah. these like, two... These two characters that you've been mentioning that's like flopped over on a couch, kind of like drunk out of their heads. And really cute ghost with his like his hand on his cheek, like in the um uh, the Willy Wonka pose, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that's, I, yeah. That's what I was failing to describe earlier. And there's there's a book <laughs> teased at the end of this, which is something I'm gonna bring up on the pull list. But uh that will come up after Ray has talked about his last book. Yeah, speaking of boom books, because what you guys have just described sounds like a really boomy book. So I've got another boom book to talk about, which is By Night number two. So I talked about By Night 
a couple of episodes ago by uh, John Allison of Giant Days fame, uh, art by Christine Larson, uh, colors by Sarah Stone, and letters by Jim Campbell. And I left my review of issue one saying that I'm willing to hold on and read the next few issues. Um, and hopefully it ends in a way that it, sorry, issue one ended in a way that makes me think issue two will properly establish the tone and context of the series. And it completely does. Um, so like last time I wasn't really sure what the deck consisted of, but now it's beginning to show its hand. So we see these more, it's more like cartoonishly exaggerated humor and like more of an irreverent tone than I expected with some like cutesy monsters in this, um, in this place that they travel to. I don't want to say too much about that, uh, because it's like diving in halfway through chapter two. Um, strangely, the thing that was hinted at in issue one that I was that was keeping me going, which was you know the imbalance in these two women's friendship, and some of the unspoken tension and miscommunication be- between these two women who used to be friends or now have rediscovered each other, and are kind of lying to each other about their intentions. That's kind of missing from this issue. So I'm hoping now with another addendum that issue three will come back to that. But at least. Issue two has set the tone for like the worlds that we're going to explore and the the sense of humor that it has, which is quite a lot more lighthearted than I was expecting from like the moodiness of issue one. So if you like if you like Giant Days but want something uh, with a bit more of a you know less slice of life and more dragging you along with a mysterious plot, then I'd recommend this by night number two. And I think I'm in it for the long run now. So yeah. For sure. That will be one to check out. So, um, that wraps us up for our list of comics. So, we're on to the pool list then. So, this is um, everything for the next two weeks. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try something different. And instead of reading out every single thing I'm buying, I've picked select ones that I think you should know about. So, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to start with the 25th of the 7th. which um, I'm going to kick that off with. It's back, guys. X-Men Grand Design, second Genesis, number one. We're into the second part of X-Men Grand Design. So um, this is a book that we talked about in our recap episode for 2017, where we talked about like best books of best books of last year and things like that. And um, it's also something that came up in our looking forward to stuff. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read what we have on the blurb for X-Men Second Genesis. So, it's all new and all different. Witness Wolverine, Thunderbird, Colossus, Storm and Sunfire suit up as X-Men for the very first time all over again, all through the lens of comics author Ed Piscor, who lovingly researches, writes, pencils, inks, colours and letters every single page just for you. The second act of X-Men Grand Design begins now. So, yeah, this is a, uh, a one-man band. And um, this is Ed Pisker's continuing effort to chronicle the entire X-Men timeline and condense it down into, I think his uh, aim, I think, was six books. So I think there's going to be, yeah, I think we're going to get six six books over three arcs. So by the end of it, there's going to be three trades. Um, And uh, it's a really cool project, actually. Um, I've got the first two and I, I really love his work. And the way that he manages to summarise things so well. It's brilliant. Um, and it's not dissimilar 
to what he did with his books about hip hop. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Yeah, yeah, they're really cool. Yeah. Really awesome. It's not a dissimilar type of project to that where he manages to kind of like condense down like the history of hip hop across a couple of books, which is really nice as well. And that's yeah, a really cool awesome a, thing to check out. Yeah, those are a series of books that I'll be talking about uh on on the pod in in the future. Um can you remind me of the title please Leon because I I for the death of me I can't remember. Don't ask me the title at the last second. Is it Hip Hop Family Tree? Yes, Hip Hop Family Tree. That's the one. Um so yeah, it's going to be um it's a similar type thing to similar type of deal to that and it's really cool. So if you like Ed Pisker and you've read his Hip Hop Family Tree books then uh this is the one for you and I highly recommend going back and getting the first two issues. So um, on from there, we've got a new book on Boom Studios called Bone Parish, and this is um, Colin Bunn, who you may know from my rambling about Harrow County. Um, so I'm going to read the blurb. Colin Bunn uh, of Empty Man and the Unsound returns to Boom Studios with a chilling necromantic necromantic horror story. Yeah, necromantic. That is the word they use. Uh, A new drug is sweeping through the streets of New Orleans, one made from the ashes of the dead. Wars are being fought over who will control the supply, while demand only rises. While crime families wage war, users begin to experience terrifying terrifying visions of the dead coming back to life through them. So we've got Cullen Bunn writing. Uh, Colorist is Serif. Rod Reese is the variant cover artist. Um, We've got artist Mustafa Karasu and... um, cover artist lee garbett as well so the cover that we can see on the preview page is um a blade which you would probably use like you know like people when they you see like in in movies some people cutting coke they use like a blade right um you've got like a blade and then like what looks like a pile of ash in the shape of a skull on a white background and it's a really cool looking cover so i'm into that and uh, I am looking forward to the contents of said book. On from there as well, we've got Multiple Man number two. So if you go back an episode, we talk about Multiple Man and how wacky that book is. So if um, if book one was the right kind of confusing for you, then uh, book two is out on the 25th of July. And it was the right kind of confusing for us, I think, wasn't it? Like I said before, I was sold full on screaming from the window at the hype train. I don't know about you two. <laughs> yeah, they can't leave number one as they did and expect not to pick up number two. It's ridiculous. I it, have to buy this. I have it, to. It should have been a one shot. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should have. Maybe I shouldn't have listened to you and not read number one, and then I could pick it up as a train yeah. at the end and not you know, go crazy thinking about what's <laughs> happening. Like, but thanks for that, Greg. <laughs> you know, if it was David Lynch, it would have just been a one shot, don't you? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he would have tried to explain it. Um, and that it, that finishes me off for the 25th. So, Ray, what have you got? Yeah, so in addition to Grand Design and uh, Multiple Man, which I was going to pick out, I've got Saga 54, uh, Lucy Dreaming number 5, and something called Marvel 2-in-1 um, Thing in Human Torch number 8. And I don't, I have no idea what this series is. I've never heard of it. I'm not particularly a big fan of the Fantastic Four. But the cover of this book is so cool. It's like... You know that old picture, that painting, American Gothic, where it's I... got the the two people, the, like the old couple standing in front of the, their house holding a pitchfork? 
it's um, Johnny Storm and the Thing in their place, and the Fantastic Four jet has crashed into the old couple's house, and they're looking <laughs> up at it. And it's, it's really cool. Like, I just love it for that cover. Um, yeah. It's uh, written by Chip Zdarsky, artist Paco yeah. Medina, and um, the cover artist is Jay Anacleto. Um, I guess it's that whole, like, knowing how Chip Zdarsky yeah. writes, like, that that pick- that cover makes sense. I just wanted to point that out. This uh, um, this this would have been on my list because it's something that I've been reading. Um, so okay, yeah. This is this is the lead up and the lead into the new Fantastic Four series that starts in August. Oh, cool. Okay, so might yeah, have to go is... back and read them as a trade because yeah. I think there's a few more coming out as part of this two and one series. I feel like there's an eight yeah. and a ten and a yeah. Yeah, I'll see where that goes. But just check out the cover at the very least. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's all I've that's all I've got for this next week. So um, we're on to the first of August. Um, so first of August, first new comic book day of August. What have we got here? We've got a book called Leviathan, which I picked out, which is from um, Image Comics, and I'm just going to read the um, the blurb here. So poor Ryan Deluca didn't buy enough beer for his party, and while he was out on a beer run. His idiot buddies busted out some mystical arcana and performed a summoning ceremony. A ceremony that summoned a giant monster from hell. Join multiple Eisner winning writer John Lehman of Chew and Eisner nominated artist Nick Pitara, um, the Manhattan Projects, along with soon to be nominated for Best Colorist Michael Garland, the Manhattan Projects, for an eye-popping, face-melting, reality-defying, non-stop rush of pure adrenaline comparison titles if you like full screen monster movies like godzilla and you watch game of thrones just for the glorious dragons you'll love leviathan so yeah i mean like i've actually read a preview for this and i got cloverfield giant monster movie vibes from it for sure uh dude goes out on beer run giant monster starts tearing city apart while he's out on beer run um and it just it just looks like great fun to be honest um the art's kind of cool as well it's got like this this um this really cool style that i really enjoy uh and i'll probably talk more about that when it comes around on the cast i mean they so, sell yeah. this as john layman uh being the you know the, the eisner award-winning writer of chew but they don't bring him up as being the writer behind the judge dread funko pop universe comic <laughs> no, nobody wants to talk about that do they <laughs> who wants that against their name I'm just I mean, saying, really? that, that, that was a thing that happened, yeah. What are you doing, man? You're dragging his career through the mud. We're supposed to be positive <laughs> I, on this podcast. We're not sp- I, ha- I have to admit, no, Le- Leviathan was one that I was going to pick out as well. Yeah, yeah. Because, also because it's John Lehman and I like True. So. Yeah. so I had that on my list. Um, got Scales and Scoundrels number 11, which is Return After a Break of Scales and Scoundrels, which is a book that I love that I've talked about loads on this cast and I'm not going to bang on about too much ever uh, well i am going to bang on about it but i'm not going to bang on about it too much <laughs> right now because obviously i want to save space for teenage mutant ninja turtles bebop and rocksteady hit the road number one which is going to be another bebop and rocksteady story so um we had another bebop and rocksteady story before where it was uh these two going through time kind of like bebop and rocksteady being bill and ted <laughs> um and just like wrecking the timeline with their brand of punk nihilism um mutant madness ensued uh so everyone's fa- i'm gonna read the blurb again everyone's favorite mutated masters of mayhem bebop and rocksteady are road tripping back to new york city but before they can get started on their journey across america they run into a crazy old enemy who's bent on derailing their trip before it can begin 
and that's all we're given. But my, does this look cool. Um, same writer as the previous Bebop and Rocksteady stories. We've got Dustin Weaver, who also is your man for Packless, the uh, anthology comic that I've reviewed a few times on here. Um, Nick Patara being the cover artist. Corey Smith has done a variant cover for it. We've got Ben Bates as writer, artist, and variant cover artist. And we've got Kevin Eastman done a variant cover on it as well, because I think he does that for most Turtles books now. Um, but yeah, so Bebop and Rocksteady hit the road. A Another fun romp with your two favourite mutant punks, Bebop and Rocksteady. Um, my two favourites, I've got action figures that attest to that. Um, got Cosmic Ghost Rider number two, which is also coming on that week, which is something else to check out and look forward to. So, I mean, if you enjoyed Cosmic Ghost Rider number one as much as I did, and um, if you've checked out the last podcast we did, and you might have checked out the playlist I made on Spotify, because this comic was metal as hell, then, uh, yeah, check out Cosmic Ghost Rider number two for more of the same so yeah, it's going to be awesome. And where are we with you, Ray? So for regulars, I've got Giant Days number 41, uh, another John Allison Boom uh, Boom Studios comic. Uh, I've got Marvel Rising. So last time we had Squirrel Girl slash Ms. Marvel. This time it's Ms. Marvel slash Squirrel Girl. So we're checking that out. Something that caught my eye, which I think uh, you guys will appreciate, is The Raid number one by Titan Books. Ooh. So it's taking place during the events of the second Raid movie. Um, and it features the the crime boss being assisted by Hammer Girl and Baseball Batman. Ah, like uh, I'm sold. I don't even need to know really if it's you know what the art is like or what it's about. It's about those characters. I'm I'm in, and I love the Wait. raid. Like it's such a good film. Is it Titan that published John Wick? I, <clears throat> it's a good question. I can check that out. Because if it's Titan that published John Wick, then. No, John Wick's a dynamite book. Oh. But that would have been an epic crossover. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what you were getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Raid meets John Wick. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> if <laughs> imagine. Don't ruin just it. Just imagine. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say, now, now you're going to get FOMO for something that doesn't even exist. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> um, and then finally, I've picked out a book called The Seeds yep. uh, by Anne Nacenti artist uh, David Adger. Um, I just really like the cover for this. Again, um, just like in the covers, it's got like a an old figure one style, you know, um, printed in an old uh, like encyclopedia kind of book. Um, yeah. A picture of a bee surrounded by a labyrinth, like a pentagon labyrinth. That's um, Oh, so to say, <clears throat> that's exactly the first thing I thought when I saw the cover for this. Um, like I looked at it when I've seen like Berger books previews, like going back to the beginning of this year. Um, and I looked at the cover for it that they had and I was like, I used to check books out of the library that looked like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? With yeah. like the, the, the two tone, um, like the, the white and the green and it's done on kind of like acidic cheap paper. Cause it's, you know, yeah. it's, you can see all the, the imperfections yeah. in the paper and it's all yeah. done in lowercase. And it's, I just love this aesthetic of like, it's almost like it's going to be a, um, Reference like a textbook and yeah. yeah an educational book uh and it's so i'll read the the blab quickly so the bees are swarming what do they know that we don't that's i mean there's more to it but that sells it in a nutshell it's a four issue series um i'm gonna check that out yeah there's a certain episode of black mirror that comes to mind as well mm, yeah yeah very good episode of black mirror probably my favorite episode of um that's that particular season actually uh, was that hated in the nation was that the one no, no, no. It was it was the one, it was the one with the um the drone bees that kill people. 
like the guys control because bees are extinct and they've got all these drone bees doing the work that bees used to do and the bees are now killing people because someone's learned how to control and reprogram them like mm. flying yeah it was it was it was hated in the nation it was hated in the um, nation yeah it was the name yeah of it, for yeah. third season of black mirror yeah yeah great episode um i'm not good with episode names and i guess that <laughs> brings us to a close so i will sign off so that's ace comicals number 40 you can catch us on facebook under ace comicals you can find us on twitter at ace comicals you can find us at our website which is www.acecomicals.com um you can find us on instagram under ace comicals you can find us to listen to us on apple podcasts overcast pocket cast spotify stitcher TuneIn, and castro um you can find other social media stuff that we do all in the one hub on our ace comicals our main website ace comicals um you can find our um ko-fi page where if you are so inclined and you enjoy what we do you can donate the price of a coffee to help keep the website up and the podcast hosted um you can get in touch with me on twitter under at bato that's b-a-t-t-o-u and you can get in touch with us at ace comicals with uh on, on uh, www dot well sorry not the, the cut that bit out right ace comicals at gmail.com um and uh yeah if you want to ask us a question you can either go there to the gmail or you can dm us on twitter or you can come to me on twitter and just get involved in the conversation yeah so ask us questions uh get involved with the conversation if you've got any comments to make about some of the stuff that we've talked about on here then yeah why not come to us about it uh ray where can we find you you can find me shouting into the digital void about whiny bigots on twitter at monke so that's at m-o-o-n-k-e-h right now the flavor appears to be uh people that complain about the reimagining of 30 odd year old cartoons that were made to sell toys to little girls leon where can we find you you can find me uh on twitter at leon everett and just a reminder to everyone as we're recording this um san diego comic-con is on uh yeah but it's happening as we record, so by the time this episode goes up, we won't have had our takes, but hopefully the episode after we can dig into the meat of announcements and the Eisner Awards. Yeah, that's something to look forward to. All the S- all the nice SDCC news we'll be getting. So yeah, um, that's a wrap. That says Comicals number 40, over and out. <laughs>